That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to That's What She Said, conversations with interesting people from the world of sports, music, comedy, and more, talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. I'm Sarah Spain, and my dilemma is... This holiday season has flown by way too fast. Late Thanksgiving sucks. It was like Thanksgiving Thursday led immediately to December 1st, and I've spent the entire month trying to get in all my Christmas movie watching, party throwing, tree decorating, present buying, present wrapping, pop-up bar going, time with friends, spending holiday joy into this finite number of minutes all while still having to deal with this whole pesky thing called work, which is taking up all my time. I barely had time to decorate my aluminum pole. I'm definitely not going to have a chance to get to the feats of strength, which is a real bummer. Late Thanksgiving sucks, and it's going to be even later next year. And even the commish can't change the calendar. I can't even fix this. Sucks. The commish has spoken. The good news is... I'm always going to make time for the airing of grievances. I mean, you guys know the South Bitch Sessions is basically a year-round airing of grievances, so this shit is my wheelhouse. You'll hear a few of my favorite South Bitch Sessions from about the last year or so. And then also, since covering all of the things worth complaining about is not a one-woman job, I've once again reached out to some of my friends, and I'm going to find out what's stuck in their craw this festivist holiday season. Let's get into it. That's what she said. Kicking off our guest airing of grievances is White Sox play-by-play announcer Jason Benetti. After review, the ball hit the top of the wall and bounced back into the field of play. No home run. The ruling on the field is confirmed. You will not hear that in a Major League Baseball stadium all year long. Fans watching won't know what the rules are because we can't mic up umpires for whatever reason. You do it in the NFL all the time. Every NFL referee is trained to talk on a microphone to tell us what the calls are. We are doing a disservice to the baseball fan, for my money, the fan who cares most about the rules by not telling them what New York is doing. We as broadcasters get the information. We disseminate it. People in the stadium do not know from the umpire's mouth. Uh, Fix it. Let's fix this. They've turned me into Lewis Black, Sarah. Okay, first of all, Benetti's voice chef's kiss i mean that dude could read me the dictionary and the Mueller report and throw a ted wells deflate gate investigation palate cleanser in between him and i would be all in still there with him but to his point i never thought of that before why are we not miking umpires in baseball beyond the obvious you know explaining the calls and, and what's going on imagine the possibilities of an ump sort of sneaky style turned on his mic during a really good manager tirade like we would have a whole season of the aaron boone and savages in the boxes sound bites. For that reason alone, it's worth doing. All right, this next one should be a good one. ESPN NBA front office insider Amin El Hassan, sure to bring the goods. This is a cranky dude, just full of grievances at all times. Happy Festivus to the rest of us. This holiday so fascinating to me. My grievance this year is for people who clamor for rings to be given to players who were not on the championship team when the championship was won. Whether it's the kid from Clemson who started the first four games of the year before losing his spot to Sunshine from Remember the Titans, or Jonas Valanciunas and C.J. Miles and DeLon Wright who got traded from the Raptors midway through the season, or whoever. Look, you can't say that they were part of the championship team. There was a whole half schedule 
of games that were played. There was a playoff game that was played. Those people weren't there either by choice or by some addition by subtraction. Guess what? Those guys got traded. The team got better. They were able to win the championship because they traded for Marcus All. They were able to win the championship because Sunshine from Remember the Titans was a starting quarterback. And so while I don't begrudge those players for what happened to them, hey, you're going to transfer because you know you want to start and play, man, all power to you. You deserve that right. You absolutely should. But don't tell me then you deserve a ring, too. You weren't there. You didn't pat anybody on the back or tell them it's going to be all right or coach anybody up or, or be supportive or wave a towel or any of those stuff. You were not there. Same thing for those Raptors. You were not there. Hey, here's the deal. Were you on the playoff roster when the playoffs started? And the answer is yes, you deserve a ring. If you were already wearing somebody else's jersey, I'm sorry. The answer is no, unequivocally no. Yikes, the cackle. Dude, that that was evil sounding. And I am not surprised at all that Amin's grievance would involve stripping people of their accomplishments and denying people their due, spreading grinchiness everywhere for all to hear. Here comes the host of ESPN Daily, Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny, writer, HQ, around the Horner, all-around superstar, Mina Kimes. All right, so my complaint is... Less about sports and more about sports Twitter. Shocker, I know. Specifically, it's about people who feel the need, who feel compelled to constantly tweet, that didn't age well. It's like an old takes exposed kind of thing. right? Which sometimes, yes, you have a, a take that doesn't age well. But often they'll do it in response to just like a simple observation. Like you'll be watching a game and Julio Jones will do something amazing and you'll tweet, Wow, great catch, Julio Jones, and unbelievable. And then maybe a few plays later, he'll drop a ball and somebody will reply to your original tweet. That didn't age well. Well, it was an observation of a thing that happened and then time progressed. Like, I, I just want to know for people who love writing that didn't age well or at old taste, like, what is your end game? Like, what are you getting out of this? I just truly, it befuddles me really and I just don't understand it and I just I'd really want to understand why people do that listen Mina I wish I could tell you honestly it really boggles the mind those assholes are definitely hanging out with the same chodes who write who cares on posts about women's sports and then self-owning as soon as they click reply and write something because then you obviously cared because you took the time to write something but I do think that being misunderstood or misconstrued or intentionally unintentionally misrepresented is the worst the inability to sort of attach context and timing and nuance to your tweets so that even the most moronic of morons understands what you're trying to get at or understands at least the larger space within which your tweet lives. That's truly the greatest flaw of a deeply flawed app. And also, I'm going to point out that you gave me the exact same grievance last year, Mina, and I'm worried about you because this is definitely something annoying. But I'm worried that two years in a row, when I asked you for anything to complain about, you went to the exact same thing. I think you might need to step away from Twitter for just a minute. All right, what you got, L. Duncan, sports center anchor, Atlanta diehard. What's she coming with? 
You know what I hate? I hate that all the good sports teams are on the West Coast. Like, I want to see Anthony Davis and LeBron. I hear they're doing great things in L.A. I wouldn't know because I can't watch anything where halftime is at midnight. I mean, I would like us all to just acknowledge that, yeah, there's an East Coast bias and propose that we stop with these semantics and make Californians watch their teams at 4 o'clock if they want to so bad because they get to live in California and all we have on the East Coast is our sports and reasonable bedtimes before we have to dig ourselves out of the snow. Listen, girl, I wish I could get down with you on this one, but I lived in California for six years and that traffic is no joke. It takes like three hours to get three miles to a Dodgers game. It takes like two hours in an Uber to get downtown to the Staples Center from somewhere a mile away. And while most people in LA do not have regular jobs, they still have jobs of some kind. At least most of them do. And so getting to a 4 p.m. game just ain't it. I promise instead that I will find a solution. And I think that solution is that work should not be allowed to start until 10 a.m. Eastern, thereby giving people in every time zone the opportunity to watch Bron Bron and AD and also get a good night's sleep. I propose move everything later, not earlier. All right, on to my boy Jason Fitz. You can hear him on First and Last, Golick and Wingo, and soon on his own show, First Take Your Take. It's coming in the new year. But it was actually his college gig doing live streams before college game day that inspired this rant. Sarah Spain, the grievance that I have this year is simple. It's college football fans and the perception of SEC bias for ESPN. Somebody explain to me why. When we have the packages to show all of the college football games across the landscape for virtually every conference, virtually everywhere, we would have a bias towards the one conference that the game of the week is not shown on our network. Like, this is simple. The biggest game of the college football week every week for the SEC is not on ESPN. It can't be on ESPN. Hell, I can't even show digital... highlights during that game so if i'm gonna have bias towards any conference wouldn't it be towards i don't know the acc we just launched a network around the acc shouldn't we have acc bias no instead everybody has to decide that the reason we like the sec is because we have some inherent bias no no the truth of the matter is i don't hate your college football team i don't hate your college football conference i don't have a bias against your college football team or your college football conference even worse i don't care about your college football team. I don't care who wins or loses. I care about what makes the best story. And in order to have the best story, I need the biggest teams to win. If that happens to be in the SEC, I don't care. But I'm not going to have bias for anything that doesn't let us show every single game. Come on. Listen, this one's simple, Fitz. If you've got a mic and a platform, someone's always going to think you're biased. So just don't even worry about them. Don't worry about whether they think you or ESPN or anybody else is biased. Let's hear from my buddy Ben Lyons of ESPN LA. He's got lots of also uh, entertainment reporting gigs. Let's see what his beef is about. Happy holidays. Happy Festivus. My sports grievance for 2019. I'm not feeling all the love for Carmelo Anthony, Sarah. Yeah, that's right. Everybody loves Portland Mellow now. Everybody loves Double Zero. Wow, it's so cool. Mellow's back in the league. It's great to see the future Hall of Famer contribute to the Portland Trailblazers. I'm not feeling it. Where were you when this man set a Madison Square Garden scoring record? Where were you when this man took the oldest team in the history of the NBA deep into the second round? Where were you when this man led the NBA in scoring and got J.R. Smith to play well on Sunday afternoon games at Madison Square Garden? Where were you when Carmelo Anthony, the three-time gold medalist, the scoring champion, the NCAA champion, the humanitarian, the philanthropist, 
the inspirational quote God on Instagram. Where were you when this man deserved to smell the roses in New York City? I'm not feeling all the love for Mello. That's my sports grievance for 2019. This is Ben Lyons wishing you a happy holidays here in Los Angeles. Stay mellow in 2020. Peace. Oh, my God, Ben. This mellow obsession is not healthy. I hear you on mellow not deserving that year hiatus that he took. But can we cool it with, like, the fan shaming stuff? Because plenty of people were down with the cause when mellow was down for playing no defense and not admitting that he's a come-off-the-bench guy. They were still down. Fans were still there. And now that he's found a spot in Portland, why don't you just keep hoping that he produces and gets the treatment he deserves and enjoy this final run instead of getting all, you know, bunched up about how people didn't love him enough when he was out? Finally, let's get to Field Yates, ESPN NFL insider, occasional co-host of Spain and Company. Listen, I get it. I know it's difficult to make schedules for a sport, especially the NFL, where you only play 17 weeks during the season. But can we stop it with the days in which it's a Sunday and there are 10 early afternoon games and there's like two late afternoon games? I want more football. I want a balance. I want as much action at the same time as I can possibly have. I want a witching hour at 4 p.m. I want another one at 7 p.m. Give me the balance schedule. Give it to me for 17 straight weeks. Field. Yes. No wonder you get paid the big bucks. This is so right, especially because my Chicago Bears are almost always playing at noon central. So I've got to try to watch their full game while flipping to red zone during commercial breaks. And then the 305 games come around and I've got like two or three measly games to give my undivided attention to. I want to see Scott Hansen handle the tough stuff, the multi-box, the four games in the red zone at once, a last second field goal at the exact same time as the game ceiling touchdown. I want to see all of it at once. More late games. You could not be more right field. All right, those guys nailed it. Some of their complaints even gave me something else to complain about, which, as you know, despite all my talk of gratitude and positivity, I really love a good rant. So thanks to them for that. And speaking of rants, let's hear a few of my favorites from the last year or so. Here's my best of South Bitch sessions. That's what she said. Today, the doors in airport bathrooms. You're usually carrying some sort of luggage with you. And if the door opens toward the toilet in order to get your full body in there and your luggage, you usually have to rub one of two things against a completely disgusting public toilet, your leg or your suitcase, sometimes both. Why don't the doors always open out? Now, listen, I understand sometimes someone might be walking by and you might clip them with the door. That is far less problematic than having to rub your leg or your luggage against the feces, urine, and other germs of every single stranger who has passed through that airport that day. By decree, all airport bathroom doors should open out and away so that you can easily get in and close the door, even with a large carry-on bag. Now, while I'm on the topic of travel, I might as well fix a couple other things, too. Let's start with when you're on a plane and people in the rows behind you think that they're allowed to get off the plane before you simply by pushing forward and forward while you're stuck in your seat and can't get out. No one can go anywhere. You're all going to get off the plane. And unfortunately, the way the rules are, the people in the early aisles and the early rows get off first. You wait patiently behind them and everybody gets off. Now, listen, if someone's taking their time or they let you go ahead, feel free. 
but pushing your way until you're even with my seat, preventing me from going into the aisle and getting my bag from the overhead bin is not the answer. This happened to me on the way to Miami this week. I looked the man right in the face. I said, stop. I reached over his head and got my bag out of the overhead bin directly over his head, put it down and said, this is how airplanes work. Welcome to airplanes. And the flight attendant gave me this wink as I was walking by like, yeah, these people suck. By the way, this flight attendant looked like Corey Feldman circa license to drive. And at the moment that he was supposed to be asking us at the beginning of the flight, whether we could handle the responsibilities of being an exit row, instead of going through the usual spiel, he went with, hey, fam, if I die, do any of y'all know what you need to do? He was, by the way, carrying a shamrock shake while saying all this. So this guy was legit is all I'm saying. But that's not all I need to fix about airplane travel. There's one more thing. When you go to get your baggage from baggage claim, have you ever noticed that everybody stands roughly one millimeter away from the baggage carousel? If everybody just took two giant steps backward and then moved forward to get their bag when they saw it, more people would be able to see it would be easier to get your bag without ramming it directly into someone right next to you when you pull it off the conveyor belt. And the whole process would be much simpler. Why no one understands this? I don't know, but I always do it. And then, of course, instead of following my lead, the people that come after me stand directly in front of me as if I'm a ghost and they can't see me. One day, if I snap, it's probably going to be about this. So I'm just warning you all in advance. If you see me at an airport and I'm a comfortable distance from the baggage carousel awaiting my bag in an efficient and polite manner, do not cross me. I feel good about what we accomplished today. Airport bathrooms, doors should always go out. Airplane etiquette, people in the rows in front of you get to deplane first. Baggage carousel, take a couple steps back, you jack wagons. There, I fixed it. Today we got to talk about people who don't understand how to use the word humbled. And trust me, they are everywhere. Just check any Instagram or Twitter post in which someone is sharing an award they won or a promotion they got or a record they broke. It's always, always, always hashtag blessed, hashtag humbled. I do not think this word means what they think it does. Okay, let's start with the word humble. We didn't used to see humble in circulation all that much. We heard about someone coming from humble beginnings or maybe in a fairy tale, someone would be described as a humble farmer or a humble shoemaker. It simply meant you didn't have much in the way of possessions or money. It was often used in sort of rags to riches stories, you know, from humble beginnings to great success. And you rarely said it about yourself, right? It was the way someone else might describe you or the way a character might be described in a book. And it's not always about worth and wealth. Someone could be humble in the way they talk about themselves and their accomplishments. My recent guest on this podcast, for instance, Tim Kirkshen, very humble guy, self-deprecating, modest. One can absolutely even be humbled by a circumstance, a massive failure, a firing, a great embarrassment, for instance. It's humbling to fail. It's humbling to be told you're not good enough. It can even be humbling to be in the presence of greatness and realize your own relative lack of accomplishments. You could brag about making $100,000 in a year, learn everyone else in the room makes $500,000, and be humbled by your misplaced braggadocia. You can even be humbled by the stars the greatness of the cosmos and how tiny and insignificant you are. All of those things are correct. Humble beginnings, humble attitude, being humbled by greatness around you and realizing your own relative insignificance. Those are great. But these days, jackasses everywhere are saying they're humbled by things that actually make them look good. It's literally the opposite of what the word means. You can't be humbled by how great you are. You can't be humbled by your own wild successes. 
One day if I snap, I swear to God, it's going to be about this. It's like we took the idea of humble bragging. We lost all of its winky self-awareness and just decided if we're going to write self-congratulatory posts, we need to write humbled in order to excuse our blatant self-promotion. The word you're looking for, people, is honored. And there's no shame in the game of telling people you're excited about an accomplishment. For instance, the E60 piece I did alongside my great producer, John Minton, and great editor, Mike Scalis, on KC Chiefs coach Dylan McCullough just got nominated for a sports Emmy. And I'll tell you what, I am not humbled. I'm psyched. I'm honored. I worked hard. I got lucky because I got to tell a great story. And people liked it. And now we're nominated for a sports Emmy. And I want to share that with people. And I did. But I'll own it. I don't need to misuse a word to excuse it. I am honored, not humbled. All right. I feel good about what we accomplished today. Hashtag honored, not hashtag humbled. There. I fixed it. It's Earth Day this week, and with Ron McGill on the show, it feels like a good time to remind people that we only get one of these planet things, unless we figure out how to live on Mars. And based on the Mars rover pictures, that place seems a whole lot less awesome than the planet we've already got. So I'm not going to lecture you on the incredible tragedy that is endangered and extinct animals. I hope you're all smart enough to understand how gross it would be for humans to cause an entire species to disappear forever. I'm also not going to tell you to adopt your dogs instead of buying one, as I assume you're also all smart enough to understand how dumb it is to pay hundreds of dollars for a purebred dog when there are hundreds of amazing dogs being put down every day because humans are too stupid to spay and neuter to care for their pets or be responsible for animals who have literally evolved into being the perfect companions. I think you guys know all this stuff, right? Recycle, don't waste paper, don't waste water, don't waste electricity, you know, all that stuff. What I'm not sure most people seem to get is the simple concept of keeping the earth right around you clean. Yes, the simple concept of not littering. Who the hell do you think is going to clean up the cigarette you just dropped out of your window? Who's finding a garbage can for the empty soda you just tossed on the sidewalk? Whose job is it to gather up those scattering food wrappers, chip bags, or paper plates, or napkins that you just didn't feel like walking five steps to the trash can to throw out? It's laziness combined with apathy combined with selfishness combined with being a jerk. And one day if I snap, it's probably going to be about this. Put it in your pocket, put it in your purse, put it in your hand until you find somewhere to dispose of it. Don't just drop it and keep walking and think I'm not going to chase you down, tell you you dropped this trash and explain to you that there's a trash can one block ahead because I've done it before and I'll do it again. All right. I feel good about what we accomplished today. Throw out your goddamn trash, you assholes. There. I fixed it. Now, I hate to give another grammar lesson so soon after the whole hashtag blessed thing, but... Okay, I'm just kidding. I love giving grammar lessons anywhere, anytime, and this one is very necessary. I'm urging people to understand the difference between apart, two words, and apart, one word. I promise one day if I snap, it's going to be about this. And this comes up a lot, two words, in sports, because people are always posting about how happy they are to be apart, two words, of a title run or a championship team or a charitable effort. So if they say they're happy to be apart, one word, They're saying the exact opposite of what they mean. To be a part of something, two words, means to be one component of a larger whole. A part, two words, is usually used with the preposition of, a part of. Easy way to remember it. To be a part from something, one word, is to be separate. To be something that is not with other things. So a part, one word, is used with the preposition from. Easy way to remember the difference. 
In related news, workout, one word, is a noun. I just finished a workout. Workout, two words, is a verb phrase that means to exercise or find a solution to something or that things turn out okay. These things matter, people. All right, fine. Workout versus workout doesn't really matter that much. They mean similar things. But apart, one word, versus apart, two words, does matter. And they mean completely opposite things. So if you're happy to be a part of the team, then be apart, two words of it. Okay, I feel good about what we accomplished today. Apart of, apart from, they mean different things. They're spelled differently. They matter. Pay attention. Don't say that you want to be apart from a team that you're currently on. That means you want to not be with them. There, I fixed it. This week, people who write, who cares, in response to something on social media. Use of this phrase is rampant and usually indiscriminate. Spotted just today, for instance. The headline, an Arizona Cardinals player is suspended indefinitely for betting on his own NFL team. Who cares? Who will win the NFC East? Vote here. Who cares? Today on The Young and the Restless, Chelsea feels guilty about Connor. Who cares? But one in particular stood out. The headline that Megan Rapino had won the Ballon d'Or as soccer's player of the year. Who cares? Now, this kind of who cares, that's usually the kind of post that inspires a whole bunch of who cares responses. The Mystics win the first WNBA title. Who cares? Simone Biles beats everyone at everything and is a full-on magical warlock. Who cares? One day if I snap, it's probably going to be about this. Insecure man-children who are offended by the very idea of talking about female athletes and teams so small and so pathetic that they can't just scroll past something that they're not interested in. They have to stop and post something completely dumb about how nobody cares. And that's the worst part of it all. Because of course you care. You just took the time to respond, which means you care. And it's a massive self-own to say who cares while you're wasting your time and keystrokes typing it. All right, I feel good about what we accomplished today. Insecure man babies need to stay the hell out of my menchies and everyone else's menchies when badass women are being celebrated. And people in general just need to stop self-owning with the idiotic who cares posts. Stop posting at all if you don't care. There, I fixed it. Okay, now that I've got you uh, fired up about all the indignities of the world, both small and large... Let's finish with something a little more joyful, a little more befitting of the holiday season. I would call it heartwarming, even. It's my annual Night Before Christmas poem, recapping the best moments from the year in sports. So grab yourself, uh, you know, a hot cocoa or some cookies and milk, maybe something a little stronger if your December has been anything like mine, and uh, settle in for this nice little look back at the year in sports that was. It's the night before Christmas, the moon lights the lawn, stars twinkle to welcome a new decade's dawn. Time to pack up 19 and say hello to 20. Fond memories abound. And regrets? We've got plenty. Double doinking it? Yeah, that tops the list. AB's feet made us armchair podiatrists. Magic quit on the Lakers to get back to his tweets. Robert Crafts in a video no one needs to see. We lost Tyler Skaggs. Big Poppy was shot. We still don't know what's a PI and what's not. The NCAA is doing NCAA things. Astros probably cheated to get those World Series rings. But we shan't spend our time on the things that went wrong. We'd need months to unpack it. We don't have that long. I guess we should focus on the joys of the year, even though our inner Grinch would rather jeer. So I'll put pen to paper with a goal once more of writing in rhyme the year's stats and scores, tales of greatness achieved and milestones crossed. I'm going to tell my kids this was Robert Frost. 
It's a picture of me. Let's start in Cali with the championship game. This year we all knew how to say Tua's name. The champ back for more with the Bama Tide. Saban's claim as the greatest could be fortified. Across the way, Clemson's counterattack, a stifling D and a stud quarterback. The Fabio of football, his hair gold like the sun, led the Tigers to the title with a 30-nil run. The NFL playoffs earned gripes and complaints as a no-call P.I. ended things for the Saints. Pats beat the Chiefs. Both had video game scores. Maybe next year, Patty. Tom wants one more. The Super Bowl matchup was just like 2 The Rams, now in L.A., taking on Brady's crew. A snooze fest, a bore. Pats won 13-3. Another title for Tommy and his coach, B.B. Gronkowski's last game, let me rhapsodize about a polar bear out amongst average guys. His play always thrilling, his quotes oddly clever. He was fiesta. Grog spike forever. But wait, more football. A new league appeared. The AAF with new teams and new gear. Big money invested. Big names were involved. Just two months later, the league dissolved. How'd they get so much money and fall so flat? Why can't women's leagues get even half of that? Women's sports isn't what the people want, I heard idiots say in their best SpongeBob font. In men's college hoops, the shoe made news as Zion's foot came bursting through. His Duke Blue Devils missed the final four, and as a pro, he'd miss many games more. Events went better for the Cavaliers as they avenged their choke from the previous year. Eked past Auburn, beat Texas Tech too. NCAA champs long live the Hoos. In the women's bracket, UConn fell. Serena balled out, but the Ducks lost as well. Baylor advanced to face Notre Dame. Could Arike play hero in another game? The Bears blew a lead. Lauren Cox went down. Notre Dame could almost taste a second straight crown. But Arike's missed free throw proved quite vital, and Kim Mulkey's squad took home the title. At Augusta, a legend found greatness again, putting tears in the eyes of middle-aged men. The return of Tiger, a man once on the skids, This green jacket more special after hugs from his kids. Speaking of special, St. Louis, right? After years of despair, it was finally their night. O'Reilly and Bennington helped end the drought from worst to first. Was there ever a doubt? Yeah, they beat the Bruins and Gloria blasted. The party was good, and the party, it lasted. Players current and former were swimming in booze. Yeah, we heard you, Brett Hall. They went blues. The NBA crowned a new champion, too. Kawhi was the key to Toronto's breakthrough. With Durant's Achilles and Thompson's knee, only Curry survived of the Warriors' big three. Kawhining and dining couldn't make Leonard stay, so he left with one final. What a do, baby. The board man got paid and went off to Cali while Golden State mourned the Oracle finale. KD left for Brooklyn, so did Kyrie. Davis joined Braun, Russ left OKC. Paul George to L.A., Butler went to the Heat. Knicks got no one. Rinse and repeat. For Nowitzki and Wade, one final run. Au revoir, Tony Parker, to et bon. Now it's young guys like Jokic and Luka and Trey can't wait till we see Zion Williamson play. Injuries took out the W's best. Without Stewie and Bird, the storm regressed. Tarasi and Parker had injuries to beat. Will Maya Moore ever come back to compete? A bright spot all season, the Washington Mystics. A top team all time, per the statistics. Emma was clutch, so was EDD. Beat the sun to bring a title to Washington, D.C. The summer was won by a pink-haired queen with the ballerous celly that we'd ever seen. Arms outstretched, chest puffed high, a devilish smirk. Trump said win something first, so she went right to work. First Spain and then France, Pino was clutch. Then the Brits went down, leaving only the Dutch. A fourth World Cup win for the U.S. of A. That parade was rad. Now let's talk equal pay. 
At Wimbledon, Coco arrived on the scene beating Venus in straight sets at age 15. One more chance for Serena to match Margaret Court, but she couldn't beat Halep and again came up short. Thank goodness new tiebreaker rules were in play, or Joker and Fed might be at it today. A near five-hour match, Wimbledon's longest. In the end, Djokovic proved he was the strongest. Contracts for Manny and Bryce showed their worth, but neither could muster a postseason berth. Nat said to Harper, we'll be all right. Got hot down the stretch and stayed in the fight. Beat the Strohs on the road in a Game 7 clash. Strasburg threw fire and Rendon mashed. Got the party started with a tune they all knew. Baby Shark, do-do-do-do-do-do. The NFL season had not yet begun when Andrew Luck stunned us and said he was done. First Brown's feet, then his helmet, and that was a wrap, got cut by the Raiders without playing a snap. A few weeks remain, and the NFC's tight. The top-seeded team seems to change every night. Brady looks human, but who's going to say that they don't think New England can go all the way? Lamar is unstoppable, a sure MVP. I think even Russ Wilson himself would agree. But when postseason comes, can he handle the weight? Quoth Lizzo, be great when he got to be great. The CFP semis are coming up quick, the first of their kind, without Bama and Nick. Now it's Coach Owen LSU sitting at one, with Ohio State hoping to spoil Burrow's fun. Joe's already won by using his reach to galvanize giving through a heartfelt speech. Nearly half a million bucks, according to reports. Thank goodness he didn't just stick to sports. A couple more things that sparked joy in 19. Caitlin Ohashi and her viral routine. The black girl magic of the great Simone Biles, WNBA drip. Those ladies got style. The black hat that scored on the Giants' D, a win for A. Felix after pregnancy, a World Series dub for the UCLA Bruins, an NBA season without the Warriors as shoo-ins. Miami's vice jerseys and all their pastel splendor, Ashlyn Harris's post-World Cup Instagram bender, the soap opera allure of the Cleveland Browns' troubles, Becky Lynch slams and Ionescu triple doubles. I'm feeling my grinchiness soften as I write. There's more joy in Whoville. My spirits feel bright. No need for my writing tools. Kept close and handy, i.e. glasses of eggnog spiked with some brandy. I might just be numb to the problems around me. It takes a whole lot now to really astound me. And I know nothing's fixed with a holiday rhyme, but at least we can smile for a very short time. So fix up a cocktail. Pick an outfit that slays. Blast all I want for Christmas as loud as it plays. Gather family and friends and hold them extra tight. Wish them Merry Christmas and a hella good night. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour and another year with me. Well, that's what she said. <laughs>